Okay, so we're kicking off this new term looking at our re-looking at our vision statement, which is creating communities that bring hope and joy to Gloucestershire. So this week I'm going to be talking about healthy communities and why we need them. And then later on in the month, Daniel will be talking about hope and Emily about joy. So several years ago, I caught the tail end of a Channel 4 documentary called Eden Paradise Lost. Don't know if anyone knows it? No? Um, The synopsis of this program was that six men and six women had volunteered to spend an entire year uh, on the most westerly point of Britain with no infrastructure whatsoever and create a new community. They each had different skills, so one was a vet and one was a doctor, etc. And um, there was no... The the programmers had had to kind of get all their equipment helicoptered in, and it was really remote. And apart from two or three crew members, um, these volunteers would have no interaction whatsoever with the outside world for a whole year. And I found myself really um, engrossed by the the concept of of this program and the kind of unfolding drama of this group of people. If you just left behind modern life and started again without the distractions and interruptions of technology and um, you know, every, all the busyness and freneticness of our lives, could you, is it possible to recreate Eden, which is you know, a perfect, lovely community? Well, spoiler alert, um, they did not manage to do this. In fact, it went horrifically wrong. Um, but before we go any further, I just thought that we would uh, get where you're sat, just get into groups, maybe a four or five. If you are a regular person here, then look out for visitors, make sure they feel welcome. Um, and what I'd like to know is if you were in charge of creating a new community, uh, what would your key tenants or principles be? So you've just got like two or three minutes and then we'll get some feedback and then we'll carry on. Okay. If you could wrap up your conversations. No, I don't have the answers. I want to hear yours. So, does, is anyone feeling brave enough to share any groundbreaking ideas they might have? A common vision. A common vision. Yeah, makes, makes sense. Yeah. Anybody else? Everyone's got to play their part, work hard. Tolerance, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Good communication. These are all. These all make a lot of sense, so you're on to the right. Uh, if, you know, I'd be very confident if I was starting a new community with all of you. Um, so, like I said, today we're going to be looking at healthy communities. Uh, I'd like to, I, I'm just going to say, Daniel told me not to do this, but I'm just going to say that, um, uh, <laughs> uh, that I feel like it's important to say that I do not feel like an expert, so I'm just, I just want to say that in this scenario we're on level playing fields. I'm talking to, as much to myself as to you. Um, Okay, so let's imagine another scenario. Okay, so you're on a beautiful desert island um, and you're not worried about resources. Um, you're on your own, but there are ample, there are, there's everything you need on this island. So you're not worried about food or drink or how you're going to survive. It's peaceful, sunny and relaxing. Uh, and somehow, we won't ask questions about how because you're on your own and you haven't done it, but somehow there's a lounger and a parasol and a cocktail um, and you are just chilling. Uh, on your own. Okay, so now let's imagine that you've been on this island nine hours on your own. Or how about 24? Three days on your own on the island? Maybe a week? How about a month on your own 
on the island? How about an entire year on this island? So our capacity for being alone might be different, and we might be in a place right now where we're feeling very burnt out by people, and I don't think our modern-day lives help with that because it's so busy and full-on all the time. But I can probably, I can pretty much guarantee that even the most antisocial amongst us would not be happy after a year on our own on a desert island, even if you've got everything you need. And I think the reason that we wouldn't be happy is because you would have no community. The implications of not having strong communities can be loneliness and disconnection, and research now suggests that chronic loneliness is associated with a shorter lifespan, and studies also indicate that loneliness is increasing in the Western world, which is really ironic because we're, we've never been more digitally connected in any epoch of time. Um, and you may have experience of loneliness. I know I do. I've, I've had experience of loneliness in my life. Um, or you may know people who are currently a bit lonely. I think it's far more common than we realize. And I just want to make a really quick sort of side note that being alone and loneliness are not the same thing. So being alone is really healthy. I, I'm, on, I'm sometimes on my own and I, it's, I really encourage it, especially if you don't like it because, you know, stretching yourself a bit is good for emotional maturity. Um, but loneliness is different from being on your own. Loneliness is the absence of meaningful um, connection with others and or prolonged periods of isolation that you don't actually want. And as we know, solitary confinement is a punishment because we don't like it. So why do we have this need for community? Why is this a thing for us? Well, I'm going to go back to Eden, uh, the original Eden story, and you can find this in the first book of the Bible called Genesis. God created a man called Adam, most of us probably know this already, in a very good world, and gave him the job of taking care of his creation. So far, nothing's gone wrong, everything's cool, you know, Adam's happy. But there is a problem, and that is that Adam is not relationally fulfilled. And in Genesis 2:18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, helper in our language and understanding can have the connotation of somebody subordinate, um, like an assistant, for example. Um, and this has been problematic in gender role discussions. Don't worry, I'm not going there. But I just wanted to quickly say that um, in Hebrew, this word for helper is ezer. The Bible project translates this as delivering ally. So when we're thinking about helper for Adam, we're thinking about somebody that's coming alongside him to help him in his role of taking care of the garden and of God's creation. Um, Ezer is also used in the Old Testament to refer to God when he rescues Israel, as in God rescues or protects Israel and is their helper. So this word doesn't have subordinate connotations, and I'll leave it at that. Um, so why even in a perfect world was there this need for community and relationship um, that Adam felt, that he, you know, somebody needed to come alongside him and help him. But I think the answer lies in the fact that God made us in his image, um, and that means we are deeply relational beings, just as God is. Furthermore, God is not only relational, but wants relationship with us. The Bible is full of verses that indicate this, and here is just one example. There are loads, but I just picked this one. In Zephaniah three seventeen, it says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now, you may have heard recently, or you know, in the last few years, a lot of talk about um, spirituality and people believing that there's something out there. And by this, they mean that there's sort of something more than just the kind of atoms and molecules that we see that make up our known universe. Um, but there's an implication that this something 
is sort of impersonal and unknowable. Um, we also believe there's something out there, but we as Christians believe that this something is a relational being who desires a loving relationship with us and has put that same desire within us uh, uh, for him, but also for others. Okay, so hopefully you guys are kind of fairly on board with the fact that we're relational beings made to live in community with each other. Hopefully that's fairly okay. Um, but the, the trouble is that human community seem to go wrong quite a lot of the time. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, it's even when there's a shared purpose or goal, uh, even when survival is involved, even when things started out perfectly, just as in Eden. Social groups, families, friendship groups, relationships, churches. Um, I bet almost all of us have had experience uh, or first-hand experience of a broken down or fractured community. Um, any nods in the room? Is there any kind of like, yeah, we've sort of been there? Um, and if we take a look back through history, it seems it's always been this way. History is littered with wars, disagreements, breakups. So the question is, if we're made for community... Um, and we're made to sort of form and thrive in these communities. Why is it so hard for us to do this? Well, in the case of the program I mentioned earlier, the group stopped working together for the benefit of all, and they started competing with each other. The things we compete or fight over may be different and come from a different place, but in almost all of the cases of relational breakdown, we have decided that we cannot all benefit, that there isn't enough of something um, that if I let so-and-so have something, then I won't, there won't be enough for me, or my family, or my cousin, or whatever. Um, we've decided, maybe we've decided that whoever's in charge is no longer working for the, um, the good of the group and is just thinking about their own advancement. Um, maybe we're worried about the future and that it's okay now, but the way it's going, it won't be okay in the future. Whether the conflict is a result of pride, fear, or greed, we turn against each other, viewing each other as competition rather than co-participants in the group. And um, I'm going to refer to these types of thoughts as a scarcity mindset. So what do I mean by this? Perhaps we have internalized the idea that we see all around us and we hear about on a daily basis. Perhaps we've internalized this idea that resources are limited and therefore we must make sure that we are going to be okay, that we need to look after number one. Or perhaps we are fearful that we will be overlooked or underappreciated or rejected or forgotten. And it doesn't have to be physical things. We know that in wars and conflicts, very often it is some kind of physical resource. But it could be that we're in a community where we feel threatened by someone else and their giftings because we are allowing a scarcity mindset to influence us. Perhaps they are similar to us and... We don't think that the group is large enough. <clears throat> excuse me. We don't think that the group is large enough for two people to have similar giftings. Maybe we look at that person and think, "Oh, they do it better than I do," um, and we start to fear that we're going to be humiliated. Or perhaps we look at others and think, "Oh, their giftings are so much better than me. They're, they're so much better than me in every way." Um, and that's because we are not valuing who we are and the giftings God has put into us. And I think we're probably, maybe not right now, but at some point in all of our lives, probably have succumbed to a scarcity mindset. And the thing is, it's really, really bad for community. Um, 
It might seem far-fetched, but I struggle to think of any conflict I have had personal experience of, or been aware of, um, or any kind of historical conflict, conflicts like wars, where a scarcity mindset has not been the cause. Maybe you can challenge, you know, maybe you can think of some, but I couldn't personally. So in Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, the Israelites have been led personally by God, who is in a cloud with them during the day and a pillar of fire at night. So he's quite visible, like he's not hiding himself. Um, and he's led them through a sea and a desert. He's provided food and water for them out of nowhere. And their clothes and shoes are not wearing out, despite the heavy duty terrain. Their leader and God's chosen spokesperson, Moses, is up a mountain getting God's guidelines on how to live prosperously as a community. And because he's been gone a little while, they decide that um, something must have happened to him and they're going to make a golden idol in the shape of a calf and start bowing down to it, which they do. When I, I mean, why, why? you know, you've, uh, it's sort of inexplicable, isn't it? Why would you do that? You know, you've got this God who's just done all this stuff for you, and then you think, I know, I'm going to make an idol instead. It just seems really weird. And when I read this, I think they, they were obviously a bit stupid, you know, they were just a bit dumb. Um, but then I have to remind myself <clears throat> of the times that I have acted uh, in a way that displays a scarcity mindset. The times that I have acted out of fear, which have maybe been damaging later on for myself or for others. The times that I have made myself unwell, worrying about circumstances. The times that I have not treated people with, the times I've treated people with anything other than love because I was acting out of my own fears and securities. Am I, is this hitting home with anyone? Am I the only one with these issues or is this, uh, is this sort of resonating? Um, so, so I guess we need to think about how we, can, how we challenge this because if, it's, if we're made to live in community um, but we have all these thoughts that, you know, we are displaying that, that, that then sort of come out in actions that aren't good for community. How do, we, how do we challenge this and how do we start living in a healthy community? Um, well, I think the answer lies in believing in a God of abundance. Um, a God who knows how many hairs are on your head. And a God who promises rest for you if you are carrying a heavy burden. A God who promises to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. A God who promises to meet all of your needs. The early church believed in this God, and you can, you can tell they did by the way they behaved. In Acts 2, 44-47, it says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So how does that look like for us as we are a community, we're a church? What does this mean for us? Well, if you call this church home, you will know that once a month we... 
um, prioritize our communities by not meeting here, but going out and serving. And if you have ideas about that or want to be involved in that, then come and speak to me. Um, I'd love to chat with you. Uh, we also practice hospitality. We really prioritize hospitality here. We regularly do meals and socials, and we also have lots of home groups to get involved with. We haven't yet sold all our possessions, um, but Daniel's going to talk about that next week. I'm <laughs> Um, but we are a church that's committed to cultivating and practicing a mindset of abundance. doesn't mean that we always nail it, because it's a commitment and it's, you have to practice, but we are committed to doing that and living like that. Um, it might be that we, um, that, that we look at our finances, and I know we've done that before in this church, and we show abundant generosity that way, or the way we give our time. Or the way we love, we love and have grace for people, especially if, you know, sometimes that can be challenging. So doing these things extravagantly and mirroring the way God deals with us, um, this is a commitment. It doesn't just happen. You have to be willing and you have to ask for help um, from God, obviously. And uh, I think it's a daily commitment to, um, to kind of, seek to generate, you're not generate it, but seek to be transformed um, by him. And then the practical implications for us as individuals could be any number of things. Um, and I'm definitely, definitely not here to tell you to do more. I think we do quite a lot as a church and uh, that's great. And I, um, I think it's wonderful, but I'd rather we did less really, really well than just more and more and more. Um, but what must be at the heart of it is a personal daily surrender of a scarcity mindset and a daily reminder that we trust in a God of abundance. I would encourage you to spend time every day with God in contemplation and prayer, submitting your scarcity mindset to him, which is normal, don't, don't need to feel guilty about it, um, and asking for faith in his promised abundance. And if we truly started believing in a God of abundance, I think we would start to find that our communities, by extension, become loving and more healthy where we feel supported, loved, and connected, and where we are supporting, loving, and connecting others so that it's a two-way thing. Did you notice in the last sentence of the reading from Acts, it said, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. The community was growing because it was healthy. But there's also something a bit different uh, for us as a church, uh, different from any other kind of really nice, friendly group of people. Um, and that's, uh, that came up in the quote from Zephaniah earlier, and it said, For the Lord your God is living among you. So we are not doing this alone. God is amongst us and chooses to use us as a collective or a body, as the church is referred to in 1 Corinthians, to bring his kingdom to earth. I don't always understand why he chooses to do that, but he does. He calls us and uses us. So we are going to spend some time asking for forgiveness. For We're going to go into a time of um, response. I wanted to leave plenty of time for a bit of ministry time. Um, we're going to spend some time asking for forgiveness for the times that we have doubted the goodness of God and acted from a scarcity mindset. Yeah, you might like to ask for healing and transformation to start truly believing in a God of abundance who can meet all of your needs. And you might like to ask God to make it absolutely obvious and clear to you what the practical implications of this might look like for you and for us as a community.